Welcome into another episode of the MLS Bench Podcast. I am Joey. With me today to talk about the league that we love is Andres. Matt is off for this week, but he'll be back uh, very shortly. But in the meanwhile, we have an extremely exciting week two to touch on in full detail. So Andres, how are you doing? And uh, what are some things that you saw in week two that you just want to hit off right off the bat? Yeah, man. Good afternoon. Um, All of a sudden, things got pretty busy, right? We've got MLS now into the swing. Uh, CCL starting tonight. I was just uh, popping into some Dortmund Chelsea right before we started recording. So uh, all of a sudden, between North American and soccer and the and the Europe stuff, there's plenty going on in the world. Yeah, um, yeah. I think we. It, I think it's a good place to start with MLS expansion uh, and St. Louis and that ambiance in the first home game, uh, and just kind of touch on that for a little while. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think that's a great idea because I, there definitely is not a bigger story in our league than the kind of the, the miracle in a way that's been St. Louis City at SC because I didn't know how they were going to come in. To me, the roster wasn't that aesthetically pleasing, and we definitely touched on that if you did our you know, our uh, preseason predictions. Uh, we didn't, You couldn't see other people's, but people generally had them very low. I had them quite low. I know we all thought of them as one of the, you know, lowest seeded teams and across, you know, the MLS analyst space. It they were a very, very low seeded team um in the predictions. They've come out now with two wins, one on the road in a tough environment at Austin. And we know that Austin, despite their flaws, has some good players. Then they come home and they get the job done again in, in their in their first ever home game. And it's just it, it it's It's surprising to me, but at the same time, I'm just kind of living it up because it seems like for St. Louis City fans, they just they they seem to be having the time of their lives. Because if you watch that game, you saw that that ambiance was something special. Andres, what what do you think about that atmosphere? And you can go more broadly. What do you think that speaks about? You know, in terms of our league. Yeah. So I think two things. First, in general, let's let's take a step step out, zoom out, and think about this this league and the expansion that we've seen over the last seven, eight years and the incredible atmospheres that are now in the league uh, that even a few years ago we, we didn't have. I'm thinking, you know, starting with, with NYC and Orlando in 2015, um, that kind of kicked off this, this batch. Uh, but I'm thinking about LAFC, incredible atmosphere, uh, incredibly successful club, Atlanta, uh, huge crowds already in MLS Cup. Uh, we've seen the atmosphere in Austin, uh, Charlotte with over 70,000 people, and now St. Louis, which I think historically has been known as the, like, the hotspot for, for American soccer, um, even in, in times when soccer wasn't very popular in the country. St. Louis still produced a, a ton of players. So to see MLS you know, finally make it there uh, with that crowd, that was, you know, a real sight to behold. Just shows how far the the league has come. Uh, maybe, maybe we needed to be in St. Louis earlier. That's 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 certainly possible. Thinking about some of the earlier uh, expansion ideas and, and maybe not as successful uh, ventures, but just you know, incredible to see the crowd. Uh, great stadium. It looks great on TV. 
and, and just, you know, real proud of how the whole league has kind of grown, uh, especially in the last six, seven years. Yeah, super proud of the league expansion. I, that's obviously one of the first things I think we can touch on. But I think also the seeing the um, the culture that St. Louis soccer fans have built now forever, it seems like, and then have you know specifically incorporated through this team and through this franchise, it definitely looked raw. It, it looked passionate as anything. And it, it looked like they were ready for the moment because we've seen in the past teams – don't are, aren't necessarily ready for the moment. Sometimes the fans don't provide what we want them to. Sometimes the team itself, we specifically that last year in Charlotte, great atmosphere, right? 74,000. But the team, you know, against an okay Galaxy team lost, what was it, 2 1? They, they didn't look that great, honestly. Uh, this St. Louis team went down a goal to Charlotte. Uh, you know, ironically, the, the team that they would, uh, the, the last expansion team, now they play them in in their first home game. Charlotte scores first, uh, nice goal, and then quick turnaround. St. Louis gets two um, in in the second half, or sorry, two in the uh, first half. That that second coming right before halftime, and then Klaus adds the third to seal the deal in the second half, and that was kind of kind of a magical moment to see those two goals go in and that crowd reignite. And then when, when the third went in, it was just pandemonium because they knew that they had that game won. Andres, what about this game specifically, not necessarily the tactics of it, but how do you think that this game kind of played into the atmosphere of the crowd and kind of the expansion, you know, phenomenon of St. Louis? Yeah, I think there's an argument to be made um, that St. Louis had you know was pretty much riding a wave of emotion coming from that crowd and coming from that opener and, and handled the you know the situation better better than Charlotte did it. Charlotte kind of gifted a couple of those goals away back to back weeks with back passes being picked off for goals. I think is is not a very replicable way of winning of winning games in any league, <laughs> uh, including MLS. Uh, but you have to give them credit, right? They they fought against Austin and came back uh, in a tough atmosphere, uh, and then they used their own atmosphere here against against Charlotte. If we're if we're looking down the road, um, you know, I still don't necessarily have this team in, as a playoff team. Uh, you could argue, I think, that I'm a little bit lower on Charlotte in general than than most other people are. Uh, but six points is six points, and. And you can't you can't fault the the fight and the and the togetherness that they showed so far, which is more than you could say for for some other expansion teams in their first couple games, or some teams that are far from expansion, but just teams that you know don't fight together and don't have a cohesive strategy. I, we could be talking about a whole bunch of teams if we talk you know if we branch out outside the expansion discussion which makes it even more impressive that uh, St. Louis has been able to do this in their first season, in their first two games. I don't have the stats in front of me for all the expansion teams in MLS history. I can't imagine that too many have won their first two games and certainly done it in the, in the manner that St. Louis has done it, which they look like a competent soccer team. They look like they had their style and they certainly have been gifted a few goals, but it didn't look, especially in this game, like St. Louis were the deserving team to win the game. They looked better throughout the course of the game. Um, Cisniega came up with a couple of massive saves at points in this game to keep it manageable for Charlotte. This game could have gotten 
I wouldn't say out of hand, but certainly tipped uh, in St. Louis's favor had Cisniega not made those saves earlier in the match. Um, it, it would have gone St. Louis's way much earlier than even halftime. So it, it was impressive from the uh, Charlotte goalkeeper in, in that, you know, in, in that aspect, but for Charlotte as a whole, and maybe we'll get into them at some point. I don't think that this is necessarily the time to dive into the nitty gritty on Charlotte. That team is struggling and needs a lot of help, even though they have all those signings they need still. I mean, I don't know where they're going to get it from, but an infusion of something of passion. I don't know. Uh, for St. Louis City, they basically alternate home and away, home and away until the beginning of May. So for this team, you're going to see their, you know, the fair few home games, and and it's going to be a pretty normal, repeatable schedule for them. So we'll see what groove they settle into. I agree with you, Andres. I don't think that they're a playoff team. Certainly not on paper. I'm not going to change my assessment of them uh, compared to what I had preseason. But I think it is necessary to you know highlight these the, the, the great things that they've been doing so far early in the season. And I think if we could quickly touch on tactical before we can move on, uh, from kind of the phenomenon, like I said, that is St. Louis City. How do you think they're kind of, um, I'm not going to say it's the Red Bull way because it seems a little bit more controlled, but, you know, Bradley Carnell, we know where he came from and, and we know that this team isn't technically the most talented. How do you think that their style of playing kind of the, you know, almost the gambling aspect of it has kind of fed into their success early in the season? I, I think it, it, it helps when when you're looking at charged atmospheres uh, and teams that aren't quite cohesive. You can you can be way more aggressive and, and take more risks without getting pulled apart quite as often. I think when you when you employ that type of style, which is it, it's it is very Red Bull like, uh, pretty direct, uh, pretty high high pressing in nature. When you have teams that are a little bit more established uh, and and have more ideas of how to play with the ball, uh, you can get pulled apart more often. You, I also worry about you know long term. It seems we've seen it with Rebel as the summer kind of drones on, the legs kind of get out and and you can't press as hard and they get pulled apart that way. Uh, but I think in these early season games in these charged atmospheres, it's it's definitely served them well. Uh, how sustainable that is, I think we'll see with Bradley Carnell. Maybe he dials it back a little bit as the season goes on. Uh, but for right now, it's it seems to be working um, while other teams kind of get their feet under them. Yeah, I, I think it, having that lightning in the bottle strategy does make for some entertaining soccer and, and potentially some winning soccer right off the bat. Though, like you said, and it's a great comparison with the Red Bulls, we see that it might not be sustainable over the course of even a full MLS season. I think lastly, do you think that this team has what it takes to, I, in the the words of our friend Greg Velasquez at Scuffed, soccer? He he, he uses soccer as kind of a, a verb to describe more intricate play, you know, actually thinking their way through things besides just booting the ball up the field. Do you think this team has what it takes to do that? Or do you think it's going to be very, very not kick and run, but certainly more, you know, direct um, throughout the course of the season. Because I saw in this game a few moments where they were willing to try and pick Charlotte apart and they didn't look too bad while doing it. Do you think that this is something that this team could do? Or do you think, um, you know, versus any kind of real test and and good challenge in this league, they're just going to be a lot more direct and pragmatic might be the word. 
Yeah, I think I think it's a good question, and I, and I think you're right. They they are playing somewhat with the ball. It's not a hundred percent just direct and going forward. Uh, and I think you know their their DP midfielder midfielder Loven seems seems like he he fits the bill. Uh, Klaus is you know pretty physical uh, number nine, and and seems like he's going to be good in this league. So they've got pieces, um, but it's. It's hard for me to see that this roster as constructed is going to be super successful soccering or playing with the ball and, and picking teams apart. I think uh, you're going to see uh, at least mostly a mixture of high press, high intensity, more direct, especially against better teams. Uh, you know, you have a, some of the stronger midfields. I think it's going to be difficult to play through them with this roster. Uh and on the road, the same. So I think it's mostly going to be more direct. I'd be pleasantly surprised to see them uh, be able to play more of the ball against good teams. Yeah, I have to agree with that. I, I, I would love to see maybe they can get one more quality midfield signing in to really take the, you know, playing with the ball to another level. But for now, I mean, two wins in their first two games is better than I got. I think the majority of expansion teams in the history of this league if they're able to, you know, capture anywhere near this clip, obviously not 100%, but even 50% winning percentage moving forward, we're talking about a team that is in contention for their playoffs and a team that is certainly one of the better expansion sides in the history of the league. Coming in, I didn't even think that would be that possible with this lineup and roster, so I'm already pleasantly surprised. We shall see what happens, but definitely the story of the league, definitely an amazing atmosphere. If you watched it, I think it, it just popped through the screen just how exciting, fun, and you know, entertaining it looks to be in St. Louis. A hub of soccer for many years in the United States finally has their team, and that team is showing out on the field through the first two games at six points, more than uh, a lot of other teams in this league uh, can speak of at this point. So congrats to St. Louis, and we hope to see that they continue their early success throughout the course of the season. We can uh, pivot now and talk. uh, Let's go with last year's champions, a team that was going to have the big opening game, got postponed. So, you know, you push that opener back a week. They were still at home, though. Bank of California Stadium. Oh, sorry. I'm going to do this many times this season. BMO Stadium, uh, sponsorship name change. LAFC took the field versus Portland. Got up early in the first half. Portland came storming back in the second half, but it wasn't enough in the end. LAFC comes out with uh, a three to win at home in their first game. Andres, thoughts on this game, especially as uh, Portland came in with a game under their belts and LAFC was, you know, coming at this thing cold. Yeah, LAFC looked uh, looked pretty good there for for especially the, the majority of the first hour or so, um, especially the first half. Uh, Portland was absolutely awful on, on set pieces. Uh, first, you know, the first goal comes off of a corner, the second on a recycled corner that leads to a penalty. Um, and LAFC in general looked pretty good with, with Vela playing as this winger slash false nine, uh, interplaying with, with Mahalo Opoku. Uh, and, and the, you know, the midfield in the back line with Sifuente still there, with Chiki Palacio still there, with Chiellini looking pretty spry, uh, looked pretty good. Um, second half, not as good. Clearly, you know, maybe that's first first game jitters kind of running out of out of gas a little bit in the second half. Maybe a little bit of complacency uh, being up three nothing. 
but yeah, they, if you get 60 minutes of, if you get that LAFC, the one that you got the first 60 minutes of, then we're talking about a similar LAFC uh, to the one we had last year. So overall, I think off to a pretty good start. Uh, let's see if they can put together 90 minutes um, against, you know, a little bit better opposition and more regularly. Yeah, I, I I get that, and I I was, you know, watching the first half. Got to halftime. I'm like, this team is going to just do it again, aren't they? Uh, especially, I think Mahalo Poku was so impressive, kind of playing in that nine role, which we didn't see a lot last year. But he was so creative. The interchange between the forwards was uh, spectacular. I mean, not much to speak of to test McCarthy. Portland was basically you know sheltering and just hoping that they wouldn't concede even more. And then the second half came, subs came in, and that started to change. We saw Tim Tillman get introduced, the German-American, came over from Gruther Firth. Uh, he looked fine. Uh, Stipe Buk, the, um, uh, the the young signing uh, DP, I believe, right? I might be wrong about that. From Croatia, 20 years old. He came yeah, in. Yeah, he's an under-22 initiative. Yeah, yeah under-22, I think. He, he, uh, looked, came uh, in. he looked pretty sprightly. looked pretty yeah, he looked- uh, dangerous. He was popping up in different places. I thought he looked pretty, pretty good. I was going to throw it to you specifically on Boog. Do you think um, he has what it takes to make in this league? And I guess just analyzing the LAFC attack, they they still have all these pieces. How do you think it's all going to coalesce? Because especially in the first half, it looked pretty good. Yeah, uh, I think Boog looked look good. Uh, definitely looked like he belongs. And his pedigree would, would indicate that he should belong, right? So he was... One of these golden boy watch list guys. Um, I know he's he's gotten already some call ups with Croatia, um, so he should he should produce in this league. Uh, and, and you would think with Vela, Opoku, and Buanga, that should be enough. I still think I I am still baffled by you know not wanting to keep Chicho Rongo and seeming like they were inching to get rid of him pretty much throughout all of last season. He was super productive um, and, you know, kind of that traditional number nine role. It's a little bit more complicated. This false nine um, kind of rotating positions with Opoku and Vela, I think it can work, but you need uh, you need a healthy Vela the, in the entire season. Um, and I think it gives them less margin for error than they had last year. Yeah, it just they don't really have a, a great nine right now. I mean, all those – I mean, Mahalo Poku, Vela, I mean, Buonga even. Any of those guys in the nine is better than a lot of teams have, but I don't know if it's championship level. I think we have to really see how this attack shakes out. And it was only the first game. The first half was even more impressive than the second half, so I don't know what to make of that. It's not exactly like they built into the game. They kind of came out flying. Uh, I, I guess thoughts on Portland because Portland – Man, I just don't. I don't know what to think. They they come out right. They they win last weekend at home one nil um, or Monday because of that postponed game, and, and now they come out at LAFC and, and kind of just you know go to sleep for the first uh, hour of the game really before Evander grabs uh, the first. They got uh, Paredes grabbed the second. Evander looks good. You know Eric Williamson has his flashes. Besides that. Are you seeing anything to be super excited about from Portland? Because I really am not for the, a couple years running now. Yeah, I think it's one of those teams. Uh, I think I, I think you're right. Evander looks good. He you see flashes from him. 
I and I I like most people in American soccer uh, watching love Williamson and I, I love how he progresses the ball and some of the passes he can hit. And Charles still playing really well, so you think you have a solid midfield there. I think you're missing up front a little bit. Uh, Fogatia looks okay. Nizgoda has in spurts, but I think you need a a consistent nine. If you have Jimmy Chara healthy and you get something out of Blanco, then I think you feel pretty decent about your wingers. It's always been about that back line for me. And and as much as I think Zach McCraw is coming along, I think center back is still, you know, a question mark. Mabiala's older, you're relying on McGraw and Zuparic only. And, and the fullbacks are a bit of a question mark for me. So nine and fullbacks uh, and center back, that's quite a bit of holes that we're, we're talking about there. So for me, Portland is kind of one of those middling teams. If they could make two or three moves, they could be right back at the top, you know, of the West where they were in 21, uh, making MLS Cup or 20 winning um, MLS is back. Uh, but right now, I think they're missing some pieces still. But who isn't? <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah. Still, yeah, most teams still true. are missing some pieces. I think if there's a team that I could say that they're not missing any pieces, it might be the team that they played on Saturday. But even LAFC has holes. So I guess we'll see what Portland's able to do. It just didn't look that impressive. And even the comeback looked kind of... It, LAFC seemed to take the foot off the gas. And I don't know if that's... you know. A, attributed to any single thing that they did but it just seemed that lafc weren't going as hard as they were in the first half yeah um, i think you could you could say maybe a little bit of complacency slash yeah. first game kind of legs legs give out 75 minutes in i i gotta think that's what it is because it looked like when they were doing what they wanted to do they were just miles ahead of whatever portland was trying to do um in the end, it was a competitive game, and it did come down late. I mean, long stoppage times in both these games, uh, in, in both the halves. So that was kind of fun. It you know prolonged the suspense a little bit at the end. But even at the end, it didn't really seem like Portland was that close to the goal. Um, and so at the end of the day, 3-2 uh, is the final. By the way, Aaron Long got in for Giorgio Chiellini, the, the veteran, MLS veteran, USMNT player. Just want to keep tabs on him and didn't start his first game. We'll see if he gets more consistent minutes off the bench, not just, you know, 80th minute subs at the end of games. I think they'll, I think they'll want to rotate those three and, and, and kind of keep all three of them fresh throughout the season, especially with Kirini being 38. Um, I think they'll, they'll use quite a bit of the different partnerships. So it might be Murillo long one week, long Kirini the next, and then Kirini, Murillo, and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, and we saw that they did that last year too with quite a big, quite a few more center backs than they have this year. Really, they have three this year. Last year, they had five at times, you know, and that that was man. I'm glad for their sake that they're out of that situation. Now it's much more manageable with only three. Um, LAFC back to winning ways, three points in their first game. Uh, incidentally, they are in the playoff positions after only one game so far. So you know, I, I think for them. I, the the goal this year has to be trophies and trophies and trophies. Um, we can move on. Uh, and Andres, you were talking about teams that you know have missing pieces. The only other team that I thought about throwing uh, my hat into the ring would be my team. Didn't want to seem like a homer, but 
the Philadelphia Union are pretty good on paper. They were pretty good in game one, too, with a few flaws, for sure. They seeded a lot more possession than I, I would have liked. But then they come into Miami. Some of those problems persist, and they don't get a, a bit lucky. They lose 2-0. Everything seems to, you know, quote, quote unquote, go against the union, I, which is kind of harsh. But every, you know, close call, you know, go, goal line, whatever, it just seemed to go inner Miami's way. Those games happen. But for the union, it, it seemed like whatever they were playing off in the first game kind of caught up to them in the second. What do you see on Philadelphia? And I think a lot of the praise does have to go to inner Miami because they do look like an extremely solid team. So, so we can do Philadelphia first because I think it's quicker and, and easier. Um, it wasn't their best performance. I think that I think most people, union fans, union front office members, I think most would agree that they weren't super crisp, um, especially in you know in some of the passing um, and execution of the patterns of play. It wasn't it wasn't the best, but I don't think it was it was bad. Um, from, you know, from, from that sense, you know, it was just maybe not top level for, from them, but, you know, you're going on the road three or four days before, uh, you kick off your CCL campaign. You, you gotta think that at least it, I'm sure Jim Kernan had them, you know, for, uh, you know, we're try- was trying to get them to focus on this one game, but it's, it's difficult when you know you've got a midweek Champions League game coming and you're going on the road to, to Miami. Um, so I think that's, that plays part of it. And, and I don't think overall this is, this is a result or a performance to be overly concerned from the union. Um, you're obviously a lot closer, um, to them in terms of, how closely you follow them? How do you see it from a union standpoint? Um, it, it looked at times like the union pre DC last year, which is a, a team that is fine, right? Can create fine patterns offensively. Uh, you know, for Inter Miami, you know, they scored two pretty not repeatable goals. One goal where the union just kind of seeded space in the middle. Um, and it was a it was a great strike. It, it was a good strike. I think Andre Blake could have done better with it. Um, but it, it was a nice, nice goal by Jean, but Jean of Inter Miami, that is. But then in the second half, Robert Taylor puts out I mean, that's that's gotta be goal of the week, right? Like off the chest, volley, top corner, dipping over Blake, nothing he could have done about that. So two pretty not repeatable goals against you. But offensively, it just never really seemed to click. I, I'm not going to be alone in this. A lot of union people have been saying this too. If that penalty gets called, Calendar um, taking down Karanz in the box, or if Gazdog finishes off the chance about a minute later, we, we're talking about a different game here. But the union just never really seemed to click, never quite seemed to find their luck attacking-wise. Um, and, and that's going to be, again, the death of this team. We talked about it last year, and then they found their form in front of net. If they don't, then you're kind of playing with fire. Can you get that one goal and just hold on to the lead? So in the first game, it looked good attacking wise with a, a few, you know, fortunate penal- penalties thrown in there. This game, again, the luck just seemed to catch up to them. And again, variance, variance is your best friend and your, you know, your, your worst enemy at times. Um, and it, it kind of bit the union uh, in, in this game. Do you think that's a pretty fair assessment? I think that's a pretty fair um, 
indication of what happened to this team. Obviously, I wouldn't speculate long-term any major problems for the Union because I think they're just such a solid team. Yeah, I don't like I said, I don't think they were bad. Um, we can we can start going into Inter-Miami. I thought Inter-Miami played pretty well um, also. And and like I said, I don't, you know, I, this isn't one of those games where I think, man, the Union really have some, some issues. I thought they played okay, uh, not the best. And yeah, uh, the first goal... If you're the union, I think you want to close down a little bit better. And yeah, I think Blake probably should do a little bit better. The second one is an all-timer. Um, nothing really you can do on on that one. Moving to, to Miami, because there was a long debate on extra time about, you know, inner Miami and where they, where they rank or where do you see them? I think we here on this pod, for the most part, I think you guys have been pretty down on Miami. I think I'm a little bit higher, but not not super high. In general, I thought this was a a really, you know, pretty solid performance. Rodolfo Pizarro, I thought, was never coming back <laughs> to Miami or, or MLS. He seems to be bought in and playing pretty well. Um, Mota and Gregory can be, you know, one of the best double pivots in the league. Uh, Corinton John was never healthy last year, seems to be healthy and, and bought in. Robert Taylor, you mentioned his goal, but he was one of the better players uh, on the team last year. All in all, you know, I know Phil Neville is talking about being top four. I think that's a stretch, but this this is a team that I was scratching my head a little bit uh, on, you know, bringing Joseph to play as a two-striker system with Campana didn't really make sense. We'll see what happens. But this is a good performance, and you can build on this. You know, that's six points. Uh, this is a team that is a little bit better after two weeks than I was expecting. This is a team who, you know, I think we can both agree, this six points means a lot more than St. Louis's six points. It's just the soccer looks pretty great. Um, and that's not even really comparing it to what they've been in the past, which is, you know, a dumpster fire compared to that. It's night and day, but even just around the league, it looks very nice, good patterns, those goals, you know, not necessarily repeatable goals, but they still had the ball for the majority of this game, working it in around the box. Joseph looks fine. You know, when Campana comes back from the injury again, like you said, we'll see how that kind of shakes out. They have pieces off the bench and we know how good Gregory is in central midfield specifically. Um, they upgraded at center back. It seems the, uh, Ukrainian center back coming in. I'm not going to try and pronounce his name. Kritsov, maybe I forget. Um, that sounds right. <laughs> he, he looked, he looked good. Uh, again, all in all, it, it just looks like a solid team as a team. That's hundred percent going to make the playoffs and a team that could make a run in it. Uh, we, we shall see, but for, I mean, for Miami, you've got to be licking your chops right now because it, you, you take down Montreal, not, not Montreal of last year. A Montreal team is not going to make the playoffs this year, we don't think. But you take down a Union team that might Whoa. be the best team in the league. That's, that's, mean, a bold, got, that's a bold statement there. I mean, I think I agree with you, but yeah, off the I bat, mean, two weeks in, Montreal is not in the playoffs. Yeah, well, I mean, they don't look great. <laughs> I mean, I tend to agree. Um, I'm just giving, a, giving you yeah, a hard I mean, time. Sorry, that, that's, me, that's me projecting my opinions like on the end <laughs> of the season. But no, I, I don't think Montreal is going to make the playoffs. And if I look at how... Um, Philadelphia is playing. We know that they're going to be probably as good as last year. So you look at Miami 
and they've pulled off something that not a lot of teams can claim so far this season and have looked good while doing it. I'm, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. I, if you had one, you know, thing that would a little nitpick that you could say about Miami or something that you know pumped the brakes, what would it be? It remains to be seen what the structure looks like going forward. I, again, it I think Phil Neville wants to play with two strikers, right? Um, and if you're playing with two strikers, that's Joseph and Campana. They're not going to defend. You know, Pizarro's not really a 10. At some point, you think they're going to bring a 10. If that's Messi, it's very different than if it's anybody else. Um, so I think this team is more suited to this 4-2-3-1. But then you don't have a DP in Campana and, and you don't bring in Joseph. So how how Neville manages that situation for me is by far and away number one question for Miami going forward. Yeah, I I, I think that attacking situation like again if it's messy i think any question any problem goes out the window if it's anyone else we'll see what happens but even i mean campana had a good season last year and got into the playoffs and you throw in joseph there it's almost an insurance policy that if all else fails you have two individually pretty good strikers in this league especially a young up and covering campana and you know they can both do it so at worst at worst it it's last year for miami and at best, I, I think we could be talking home playoff game. So, I mean, that's pretty good. I, I, I'm Coming into the season, I think we were higher on Miami than we were for them last year. Uh, and now I think our expectations have to be, you know, top four seed, like you said. But yeah, I mean, for the Union, n- not nothing long term I'm going to take out of this game. For Miami, I think they can be... I think I think they should be wanting to take something out of this game because they played very well in it. We can move on, uh, because I, I think we we got got to cut. Sorry, got to cover a few more games. San Jose, you watch this one, Andres. I know you watch San Jose beat Vancouver at home. I mean, I don't want to predict that San Jose is ever going to be good because that's an accident waiting to happen. But I mean, at least they won a game. And I may be higher on them than than most others. Uh, Matt and I talked about it in our in our second half of the West previews. I've got them, you know, right on the edge of that playoff spot. So eighth or ninth, um, you know, seventh, eighth, ninth in that area. Uh, just because I think that attacking three uh, can be very good. Espinosa, Cowell, and Ibobisi. We've seen some of that already this year. I think the three behind them, Montero. Grayso and Yule can be a very good midfield. And I think in general, Lucci brings more, you know, a, more of a solidity and a plan to, to the way they go about things to help that back line, which I think is still uh, a little bit weak, even with Mensa, um, as that they brought in uh, to help that center, you know, that center back position. Uh, and they pretty much dictated, you know, the, the, the play here, uh, the entire second half. And, and even, even the you know the second part of the first half against a Whitecaps team that I think well at least, at least you know I'm interested in seeing how they how they progress because I think they've got interesting pieces uh, but they you know they pretty much dominated them and it seemed kind of inevitable that the second goal was coming um, so it's a, I think it's a it's a good win at home it's at home against a, a Whitecaps team that unfortunately is a little bit struggling right now. Uh, but I think you can see where where this is headed. 
um, and what they want to do. So I'm, I'm encouraged by San Jose. Uh, even that first part against Atlanta uh, was pr- pretty decent. So there's pieces and there's a plan and, and I'm encouraged by what I'm seeing. Yeah. I've last year I wanted at, at points to be like the San Jose team should be good, but I knew they weren't going to be good. So I kind of refused to say it, but the pieces are good. Like, Montero is a good piece. You mentioned the, the front three. I don't have to go through it. That's a, that's a good attacking front three. Jibo's already got himself two goals the first two games, right? We know that Grezo is, is that guy who they bring in. We'll, we'll see what he can become. But we're talking about a guy who was at Augsburg, right? Playing games for a Bundesliga side. Um, like what, what this team can be, at least if you just even out the sum of its parts, is, like you said, around that playoff line. If this team can perform better than the sum of its parts, then this is a playoff team. And at home, albeit, and against a a not amazing Whitecaps team, again, noted, they won an early game in the season. And and last year, we saw right off the bat, they struggled. This season, like, they're they're, they're one win, one loss, right, through the first two games. And, And the one loss that they had was to Atlanta when Almada had maybe the moment of the season in week one, two crazy goals, not repeatable goals past the 90 minute mark, you know, subtract those two goals. And we could be talking about a two and O San San Jose team right now. And we're all, you know, scratching our heads saying where, where did this come from? So I, I'm, I agree with you. I'm excited to see what San Jose can be. And I'm somewhat high on them given all those things I just laid out. Uh, you have the final word on San Jose or or on Vancouver, but I think specifically we can stay with the Quakes. Do you think that this team has what it takes to make a run given all that we've talked about? I mean, I do. I, I had them preseason um, in my nine uh, in the West. So I had them in the top nine, you know, like I said, eighth or ninth around there. Uh, I think what we've seen through two games is is about as – uh, you know, if you had to say what's the what's the good side of San Jose, we've seen it through two games, and you're right. You know, we're we're two bangers from Almada away from from being you know from having six points on the board. If you're if you're a Quakes fan, so I I definitely think it, the pieces are in there. It's a matter of holding up defensively because it's still you know this team still leaks a lot of goals. At least they did last year, but I definitely think that. If you're San Jose and you're looking around at the West, you've got to like your chances against more than half of the teams in the in, in the conference. So yeah, definitely, uh, definitely could see them making making a push towards towards being solidly in the playoffs. And then you never know what happens in in MLS Cup playoffs. So for sure, uh, I think it's definitely a team with potential. And, and, and that's and that's all it takes. Be better than half the teams in your conference, and you're a playoff team. Um, Heck, be better than not half the teams in your conference and you can still be a playoff team in MLS. So for San Jose, looking up for Vancouver, not great. Two losses in their first two games. Both games they had a lead in and both games uh, the the other team came back and took it late. Uh, first at home versus RSL, now on the road uh, in on the California coast. So we'll see what happens. San Jose, keeping our eyes on them, could be exciting. We can move on, and Andres, I know you also wanted to touch on uh, two New York teams, but the both both New York teams, I should say. Uh, you saw pieces of both their games. I you can quick fire here. 
Chicago and NYCFC tie one all in Chicago. And then uh, uh, the Red Bulls at home draw nil nil to Nashville. So two pretty non-discreet draws. Anything you want to make out of them for either of the uh, New York sides? Yeah, the, the Red Bull game, there's not a lot to talk about. It was, you know, not not a ton of quality soccer there. I think in general, probably Nashville is happier uh, being that they were on the road and, and Hani's still not, not starting. Uh, Rebel, you know, I guess they were okay. Not a, not a ton of chance creation in this one. Uh, you know, one of those, each team takes a point and kind of moves on. So I don't have a ton uh, on Rebel or, or on Nashville really to add, other than, uh, you know, Nashville's got four points through two games. Without Hani in the starting lineup, that's a, that's not a bad start for a team that I think most people are pretty down on, considering their lack of additions. The NYC uh, game, I think, is is more interesting. A point at Chicago is, is you know home hum, uh, being that we we don't think Chicago is going to be very good. Although a point on the road, still a point on the road. Uh, but interesting that you know James Stan- James Sands came straight in from Scotland, got the start. Uh, Santi Rodriguez uh, came on and you know late in the second half so that team is starting to put together a little bit more depth uh, they are a number nine away uh, from from being a very good team maybe a number nine and maybe a little bit more depth from being a very good team again so it doesn't look great just yet but I think there's promising signs there yeah I think the one reason I would throw a bit of a uh, you know a even more downside to this for NYCFC is Chicago comes out not the strongest eleven to start with. They take two injuries in the first half to Fedi Navarro and Jairo Torres, who are good players, both of them. And so you're thinking two substitution windows used that aren't tactical subs. You only have one window left. You know the good players have left the pitch, and you're up one nil heading into halftime. That's a game that you really should have. Um, they, they let Chicago back in Herbert scores. I think it was off a, a, a broken corner, um, on a 75 minute mark. And that's all she wrote. One, one all draw. I think Chicago is going to be feeling good about that just because of those injuries and the way it all went down. I guess the side that like you bring in James Sands from Scotland, right? He, he was playing for Rangers. Uh, and now he comes over. He, it, you have the kind of the center midfield partnership that won an MLS cup what, two years ago? So I think if you're Chicago, you can you can point at these you know different points and say, hey, we just beat a team that on paper looks like a really, really strong side. I think in reality, like you said, they're number nine away. Not a Tyus Magno take him off the field. It's a number nine move Tyus Magno back to the wing where he can be one of the best wingers in the league. And then uh, now we go, now we start flowing. Either way, I think NYCFC should have had this game after halftime. And they gave it up. And so that's two points off the table. And for Chicago, that's that's an extra point that we know this team isn't going to get points that easily. This was their only game so far because of the weird first, you know, first week they were the team with the bye. So they have one point through one game. I think for Chicago, not that poor overall. And for NYCFC, it's a draw and a loss through the first two games. Andres, while we're here, do you want to expound on anything regarding NYCFC Anything that we can take away, you know, big takeaways from this team through the first two games? Yeah, so I, I think you mentioned, uh, you know, uh, being a number nine away, and it doesn't mean moving Magno out 
of the team, just moving him out to the wing and bringing somebody else, you know, kind of like Chicho and LAFC, it kind of blows my mind that NYC is traded Eber away to, to Seattle of all, of all teams, one of the most complete teams out there for, for some gam, uh, knowing that they, they were without Tati. And, and I get that Eber has been a little bit injury prone and, and on the older side of what NYC wants to do, but he just seems like the perfect, uh, stopgap un- until you find another nine, uh, to, so you can keep Magno out on the wing. So for me with NYC, it's, it's midfield depth. Uh, can they keep those guys healthy? And it's what do you do with that number nine position and how do you utilize uh, Magno and Pereira and Andrade to take advantage of the of their gifts because they're, they're so talented? Yeah, I think it's just about utilizing talent correctly because I think the thing that NYCFC, being part of City Football Group, will never lack is the ability to get young talent from all over the place it, more readily than a lot of other teams. We'll see how they're able to use it this year. And I don't think that the talent, like we said, with Tati gone, obviously, it isn't quite as good as previous years. Collins, same thing, Sean John. But it's still there. This team should definitely still be a playoff team. Um, and I think it, it just turns to, can they get someone new in, like you said, and can they make the most of their players in whatever positions they might be in? And if that means buy a striker just so you can move Tyus Magno back out to the wing... Seems like a good decision. Seems like a good decision not to sell Eber, but hey, I, I guess that decision's now passed and they have to just focus on what's in front of them. Uh, last thing before we touch on uh, next week um, and what, what's to come, we are an American soccer podcast, so we can't you know stop without touching on basically the American soccer team in the American soccer league, which is FC Dallas, right? With Jesus Ferreira, Paul Ariola, Sebastian Leggett. In the first week, Eh, not so good. This week, nothing, nothing but, you know, roses and cupcakes because Jesus Ferreira scores two. Paul Ariola assists on a great header. Sebastian Legette looks good in the midfield. It, it all looked good for the Americans in Dallas this week. Andres, do you think um, that those guys are poised for a step up this year? Or do you think that just maintaining last year's level uh, is good enough? Yeah, so I, I think I, I think it'd be difficult to expect Ferreira um, and Ariola to make another step up. I think we saw a pretty big step from Ferreira last year. Um, it'd be interesting to see if they play him at, at some point as a second striker, because uh, I think that that could that could work really well. I think we could see a step up from Velasco uh, this season, uh, being that he's you know he was nineteen and, and new to the league. And I think part of what we saw this week was a Galaxy defense that isn't very good or, or might not be very good here for a little bit. We're all excited to see what Ricky Pooch and that attack can do uh, during the season. But, you know, defense is definitely the Achilles heel for the Galaxy and has been. Uh, and, and for some reason, Dallas just kind of always uh, beats beats L.A. at Dallas. It's, I think that's like six in a row or seven in a row. Uh, Ferreira seems to score on them quite a, quite often. So, some of that dynamic is going is going on there, but if you're Dallas, I think you're hoping for for some steps forward from some of your younger guys, and to get you know a repeat of some of the same production from some of the more established guys. Yeah, for sure. And I think overall, like big big picture, I think what you got to see is more cohesion. Like last year, it looked discombobulated at times, and even though. Jesus Ferreira looked good and, you know, 
all these individual pieces, like Velasco had his moment and that that game he came in, it never seemed to quite click. If it can click this year, I think that they have something special because they have good players. I, I just really want to see it work. I, I got to say, Jesus Ferreira in those two finishes that he put, you know, albeit defense made some mistakes, but he made good runs and he looked a lot more confident in front of net than he did last year, which has got to put the smile on the face of any American fan because it just looked way cleaner and way more confident. And if he can take that to the national team, that's where he can make that step up. Is And, and I remember that they were talking about it last year, Lucci and Nico and Greg, about you know working on his finishing. Um, that's, that's just absolutely necessary because if he can shoot the ball at a better clip, and if he can make the most of his chances, he is a starting American nine. But if he can't and he doesn't, you know, improve in that aspect of his game compared to last year, he will sit the bench behind Josh Sargent or whoever. So that's important anyways. Um, that's kind of finishes my point on Dallas. So unless you have anything on Dallas or the Galaxy, Galaxy, it's really their first game. I'm not sure we can draw too many conclusions from it. Um, we can move on till next week. Uh any any big games, Andres, that interest you? You we can do what we did last week and really hit one big game that you know to you is that one that you you know is a standout and one that you really want to focus on. So I think for for me, we haven't really talked about Seattle uh, on this pod, but they might be the best in the league or near the the best in the league right now. They're healthy, they're playing well. Uh, we know what this team looks like when they're when they're playing well. They're MLS Cup champions and CCL champions for a reason uh, and they're playing Cincinnati who who I think we all think is pretty good uh, and who we think is among the more entertaining teams so for me watching Cincinnati and Seattle I think that's the game I have that I'm most intrigued by Seattle going to Cincinnati um, and seeing if they can keep that momentum from the first couple weeks yeah, that's super interesting I, that's definitely for me the marquee matchup I would also be interested in uh, RSL um and their matchup this week because of what happened with Seattle RSL uh is going to take on Austin at home at Rio Tinto but I the reason why I really introduced this one just by talking about RSL and just being like I'm really interested in RSL is because they're just they're always such an intriguing team you don't know what you get from them you know they they won the first week came back and won lost to Seattle J Mogul by the way you know he's back L- love that um second week in a row but for RSL, we're talking about a team that just playoffs seem to perform, seem to struggle at times in the regular season, are always up and down. And they started the season up and down. So can they get some stability against an Austin side that they have history with? Lost in penalties last year uh, in the playoffs. For Austin, this is a team that we knew wasn't going to be able to sustain the same kind of attacking output because of that. We, we knew that they were going to regress to the mean after last year. But I thought that they had the talent to power through. We'll see if they actually do. I think ultimately, though, when we talk about this Austin team, we're talking about a team that so far this year has underperformed. Lost in the first game to St. Louis. You know, only you know got a late winner uh, against Montreal. Uh, that you know they they killed Montreal the entire game, possession passing the entire thing, couldn't find a goal. Where will that attacking output come from this year? That's a question that still needs to be answered. That's why I'm interested in watching both these teams go at it. RSL hosting Austin 930 Rio Tinto Stadium. Should be a good one. Um, and quickly before we get out of here, Andres, CONCACAF Champions League, like you mentioned at the top of the pod, starts tonight. Austin, it will be away 
at uh, 6 p.m. Eastern time, so just a couple minutes from <laughs> our like recording. Five, like five minutes from now. Yeah, yeah five minutes from now uh, it, when we're recording. Alianza, uh, team from El Salvador, hosting Philadelphia Union at the Cuscaclan, and Tigres hosting Orlando City tonight at 10 p.m. on the East. So a lot of MLS teams in action tonight. Do you want to just broadly touch on what do you what are you excited about? What are you excited to see? Obviously, I'm excited to see my union, but you as a neutral observer, who, who are you interested in seeing tonight? I think it's it's also well, I don't know. I think Austin's interesting. Just uh, you know, such a new team being uh, being in NCCL. Uh, I think the union are probably the best team of the of the MLS teams in CCL, um, and or you know Orlando playing Mex- uh, a Liga MX team. So I guess everything. It, it, CCL is you know one of my favorite competitions, and I I tend to to be pretty into it. So you can make the argument for for any of the games tonight. Um, just you know another season of of wild chaos and finally getting over the hump uh, last year with Seattle. Uh, hopefully, you know, another another season where MLS teams are, are competitive and make a good show of it. Yeah, that's the hope. Vancouver will play tomorrow against uh, I, I, Real CD España. I'm not sure which team that is. And then LAFC take the field on Thursday against Aluense away um, in their first game as well. So... MLS teams three tonight, one uh, tomorrow, Wednesday, uh, and then one on Thursday. So we basically have CCL the entire midweek before MLS is back on Saturday. A lot of soccer, like you mentioned, mentioned Andres, uh, in Europe and obviously domestically, we got MLS, we got CCL. It's all kicking off. This is the time where the legs get tested and our soccer watching eyes get strained out because there's just so much to watch. But that'll do it for this episode of the MLS Bench Podcast. We touched on quite a few things. Matt should be back next week, hopefully. Andres, I really appreciate your company uh, going through all these MLS games, CCL. So much more to talk about in the coming weeks. And so listeners, we hope you stick around and listen as well. If you have any suggestions, love to hear about it on Twitter or in the MLS Bench Discord. And obviously, drop your likes, subscribes, downloads, all that stuff that is, you know, the, the pod MOs. But thank you so, so much for listening. We really do appreciate it, and that means the most to us. Until next week, enjoy life, enjoy the beautiful game, and we will see you then.